Can I just say, I'm loving this expression, solely chats. <laughs> I've been itching to have something like this for a while now. And I've even mentioned a few times on Instagram over the years that I was going to write another book. But having already written a book and understanding everything that goes into it, honestly, no part of me was excited about that. <laughs> but what was exciting was the thought of getting my stories out there. So to have landed on this platform, it's Spotify, and using my actual voice instead of just writing, it's really resonating with me. I find myself thinking about it a lot, coming up with ideas of what I want to share next, and really just wanting to perfect my craft of eloquent, impeccable self-expression. I always know that a creative project is right for me when I'm lit up and energized by working on it, and that's just what this has been. This chapter today will be me picking up where I left off in episode number two. And I've, again, written it out in advance with the intention of being concise because, dang, these stories can stretch out. Here we go. When I returned to university my sophomore year, now completely solo and not in contact with any of my family members, I started really struggling in school. I even had one semester where I literally failed every class. As a 4.0 student on a full-ride scholarship, clearly I was not mentally okay. I found myself completely disinterested in all of my classes. I began to seek out various majors to try on, which over the years went from pre-med to education, to photography, to journalism, to nursing, finally landing on dietetics and nutrition. That first year back though, consisted of me mostly working and partying. Naturally, I lost my scholarship, so as many college students do, I stupidly started getting student loans to pay for my classes that I was failing. Meanwhile, I had no idea what an interest rate was, and all the numbers on the screen, they were just completely meaningless to me. The first Christmas alone that year, I laid in my bed in my dorm room while the rest of the college students were away with their families. I felt so lonely. I had this thought, maybe I should get back in touch with the Marslovs, my father's side of the family. I hadn't seen them for maybe around 10 years, and now there wasn't anyone here to dictate who I speak to. At this point, my last name was still Wygand, having been adopted by my stepdad when I was in middle school, which by the way, I later changed back to my birth name of Marsloff when I was 24. I hopped down from my bed and I looked up my Sazi's name on yellowpages.com. Just as a reminder, my Sazi is my grandmother. I call her Saz. I found her number and I bravely called it. It went to voicemail, so I left a message. Later that night, my Saz called me back. Mackenzie? You could tell she was crying and her voice was shaking. She told me that my call was the answer to all of her prayers. She also said that she hadn't been expecting to hear from me for at least another 10 years. It was a miracle for both of us. I was beaming and so was she. Over the coming weeks, I began talking to the Marsliffs on the phone. I got to talk to my Aunt Amy and my Aunt Carrie. It was so fun. Funnily enough, my biological father was going to be in Tucson two months later for a golf trip with his friend. We set up a time to meet up. He was going to come visit me while I was at work one night. 
I was so nervous and I had no idea what to expect. I remember that night so clearly. I was looking out at the front of the restaurant constantly and finally I saw him at the base of the stairs. I ran down the stairs and we hugged. We were both elated. And it was clear that he had been drinking. My heart sank a bit. But I was just so happy to be back in his life, so I don't think I made it mean too much. In the coming years, I visited my Marsla family in Ohio often, and they visited me in various places. It felt natural, meaningful, and like such a relief, especially my relationship to my aunts and my saws. They have all loved me unconditionally through so much over the years, and it's been such a blessing. In my junior year of college, my Aunt Amy had a scholarship to give away for an online enrollment in a school called the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. This certification would allow me to become a holistic health coach, just like her, and to start my own business helping others with their nutrition. I was so excited. I dove in in my free time, and from all the information, I actually began to heal my relationship with food and with my body. Finally, something I was passionate about. At the end of my senior year in college, after all my friends had graduated, I was going to stay back for an extra semester and graduate late due to all those changes in my major over the years, which put me behind. That summer, I moved all my things into a house with random roommates, dreading the thought of having to be in college for six more months. At the time, I was actually dating an Australian guy long distance, And I already knew that I wanted to start my holistic health coaching business full-time. I wasn't far from graduating in my IIN program. I came up with a grand idea. What if I just ditch all of this for a semester and go to Australia? Now that's an exciting thought. So I started looking at au pair jobs online, and after talking it through with my boyfriend, I accepted a job. I let the dean's office at University of Arizona know that I'll need to take a one-semester break. I listed my car on Craigslist, and I started moving all my things into a storage unit. With every intention of returning, I flew to Australia, and I ended up staying for nearly two and a half years, never actually returning to college in Tucson. But in Sydney, I quickly built a full-time holistic health coaching practice, I moved in with my boyfriend into our own apartment in Bondi Beach, and I eventually even opened up a Pilates and Wellness Center called Glow Nutrition and Pilates Center in Surrey Hills, and I built up a one-year wait list of clients. All looked groovy on the outside, but inside I was not happy. I was numb, asleep, completely unaware of my unresolved trauma. My boyfriend was an amazing man with such a lovely family that welcomed me and loved me from day one, but I was only willing to let him get so close. One day at one of his family members' weddings, I caught the bouquet and I, I just saw the look on Ash's face and I thought, why did he look so excited when I caught that? So later that week, I decided to have a chat with him and I told him, look, I don't know where you're at, but I'm just nowhere near getting married. I told him I don't want to settle down until I'm at least 30. I told him I want to focus on my career and blah, blah, blah. 
he was definitely disappointed and he shared with me that he had been starting to feel the desire to propose and become more serious and I just lovingly told him I'm not ready. From there, I began to emotionally and energetically start to pull away from him, but this was completely unconscious. I started thinking about my ex-boyfriend, started romanticizing my old college life and missing it, complaining about the expense of living in Australia and saying that I want to go back to the States. I ended up taking action and actually listing my business for sale and planning to move back to Arizona. We thought that Ash would simply be able to come with me and that we could continue our relationship. But then he came to me one day and he said that we technically need to be married in order for him to be able to stay in the States with me. After thinking about it for a while, I told him I would do it, but only on paper at the courthouse and not like an actual wedding or proper marriage. Like I told him, I don't even want anyone to know. He agreed. But then, weeks before our flight, he surprised me with a packed bag and he booked a romantic staycation in the city. That night, before we went to dinner at a fancy restaurant, he proposed at the hotel. It was truly so beautiful, so sweet, and just so thoughtful. He said he didn't want this to only be on paper. He wanted it to be the real thing, publicly, the real deal. How in the world was I going to turn him down? I caved and I said yes, but a part of me felt really scared. We got married in the Sydney courthouse, flew to Arizona together, and ended up having a solo elopement ceremony with magnificent photos that we ended up posting all over Facebook. (laughs) But I was totally asleep and unfortunately unconscious throughout it all. I was just going through the motions, completely disconnected to my voice, to my true desires, and to my inner world. From there, Ash had to fly back to Australia while the marriage paperwork and the immigration stuff went through. Immigration let us know it was going to be up to a year, at which point Ash kind of freaked out. Two weeks into us being apart, I honestly felt great. I felt free. I started partying with my friends from college that now lived in Phoenix, and I was seemingly just so happy to be back in Arizona. But on the phone, he was expressing his concerns. He just did not understand how I could be so okay with being apart. You could tell he was really starting to get insecure about it all, and rightfully so. He finally gave me an ultimatum one night. Either I come back to Australia to start our life together as husband and wife until the immigration paperwork goes through, or we are done. I hiked up South Mountain by myself to think about everything, and when I got to the lookout point, it started to rain. I felt time literally stand still. It was a flash of knowing that I needed to walk away from this relationship. Honestly, I could sense there was a part of me that wanted to make the decision to stay, but only in order to please the world, such as the thousands of Facebook friends and network that just saw our elopement photos. I was honestly worried about what people would think of me, and yet I was aware that I needed to choose myself in that moment, knowing that it wouldn't be the popular choice. When I told Ash, it was clear it wasn't the decision he was expecting. 
He was shocked and devastated. And I was numb and completely insensitive to his experience and to the impact of my decision. I ended up deleting my Facebook to avoid having to confront the world on my decision, just in shame and embarrassment. And honestly, I started to see another guy very soon after we broke up. That boyfriend I had was also incredible. It was an easy, supportive, and fun relationship. But about a year and a half in, I sabotaged it entirely. I remember there had been this moment while we were having sex where he tried to look me in the eyes. And my heart literally ached physically. And I just shut my eyes as quickly as I could. Receiving love and opening myself to intimacy in this way was incredibly uncomfortable. And it it felt like physically unsafe to me at the time. So I unconsciously manifested a way to eject myself from the relationship before he got any closer. He too was shocked. And in fact, he tried to shake me awake, saying over and over and over again over those coming weeks and months, Mackenzie, what are you doing? The way that I ended both of these relationships in later years came back to haunt me. As I started waking up, as I started seeing my own limiting patterns that had played out from my subconscious fears and blocks to intimacy. But the story continues. The next boyfriend I had, well, he was and is an amazing person. But at the time, it was definitely our wounds that attracted each other. It was chaotic and confusing from day one. It was intense. Intense highs and intense lows. Over the course of a year and a half, we probably broke up like 17 times. It involved cheating on my part, which I hate to admit wasn't the first relationship that I had cheated due to my complete lack of boundaries and intense need for a sense of connection and approval. And this relationship also involved moving in and out of the house, punched holes in the wall, broken items, substance abuse, and finally it involved a pregnancy. We were meant to be on a break at the time that I found out. I went over to his house and I told him that I was pregnant. To my surprise, he looked so happy. And as if for the first time ever, he felt a sense of purpose in life. My heart sunk because being pregnant was not what I wanted. I had just moved into my own apartment. I was trying to get my business off the ground. But without saying anything, I just accepted my fate, that now all my hopes and dreams are over. We moved back in together, and it was pretty horrible. I was setting myself up to quite literally repeat exactly what happened with my mom and dad when they were younger. We would fight at night, and I'd look over at the room that was going to be our baby's room, and I'd get deja vu, thinking, holy shit, it's all repeating. It was like little flashes of enlightenment. One night we were fighting and it got really bad. He ended up storming out and leaving. And I was so scared that he was going to kill himself based on a serious threat he had made while fighting that night. He did not come home all night. I couldn't find him anywhere. And sometime in the middle of the night, there was a moment where I realized we absolutely cannot do this. 
weeks prior, he'd already said at one point that he was a full no to adoption or co-parenting. So I felt like my only option was horribly abortion. By the time he returned back home the next morning, the movers were there taking all of his furniture out. We sat on the floor and brokenly I told him, I cannot repeat what my parents did. And I told him that I've come to a decision that I need him to support me with. He understood in that moment and he agreed to support me. I set the appointment and the day it happened, he picked me up. That was the day of my life in a way. I was honestly excited to just get it over with and move on with my life. But boy, is that far from what actually unfolded. Trigger warning with this next part. It is a bit graphic. The abortion happened at 11 and a half weeks into my pregnancy, just before the legal cutoff in Arizona. Because of my sensitivity to medications, I could not take the full dose of meds that day. So traumatically, I was awake during the entire process. I literally felt the fetus getting sucked out of me. It was absolutely horrendous. I left that day feeling hazy and confused. I unfortunately lied to everyone in my life at the time, saying that I had lost the baby, completely in shame of having had an abortion. And that's when my nightmares started. Not only did I bleed for weeks, but every night I began having gory, confusing nightmares full of blood and strangely me taking a knife to my mom's throat. It was jarring and utterly confusing. Now I know that there was a part of my brain opening up at the time that due to the intense trauma of the abortion, it was PTSD and yet entirely necessary to get me to wake the fuck up. Partnered with the grief of my relationship ending for good and my business venture not working out after two years of pouring everything I had into it, I was not in a good place. I went to the gym twice a day. I obsessed over my body and my diet and I kept myself as busy as possible. I'd have thoughts of killing myself on the way to work. I really thought something was incredibly wrong with me because for the first time ever, I was crying nonstop. Strangely, I'd never cried much before, and I'd certainly never cried in front of anyone. So to be crying this much, I thought, was a bad thing. Thanksgiving that year with the Marsluffs, I literally cried the entire time, and I told them, I just don't know what's wrong with me. They loved me through it so beautifully. One night, I sat in my car, four beers deep, and I was just so upset. I texted my friend Dan saying, I'm just so lost, helpless, I'm confused. He texted me back, Mackenzie, you just have to be determined to get yourself back. He was saying this from his own similar experiences and it really landed for me. I'll never forget that moment and that text message. Thankfully, from there, I stopped drinking completely, recognizing that it only made my emotions and my nightmares worse. And now that I had a spare bedroom available in my apartment, I needed a roommate to help pay the bills. I put up an ad on Craigslist, and eventually, in walks a literal goddess. Sure of herself, in her purpose, her service, healthy, does yoga, 
and clearly just a wise soul. Her name was Dulce. I felt embarrassed because I felt like I had nothing to offer her. And in her reflection, honestly, I felt pretty lost and off track. But naturally, I accepted her as my roommate, as I knew she'd be an amazing example for me. And she moved in with an entire bookshelf full of what I later learned were spiritual and personal development books. The first night we had dinner together, I started crying. I couldn't hold it back. This was such a weird phenomenon for me to be crying in front of someone that was seemingly a stranger. But I told her honestly, I am struggling. I can't stop crying. I don't want to be here anymore. My relationships have failed. My business idea failed. And I have no idea what's happening to me. She ended up coming over to me and she looked at me with so much compassion, saying, oh, baby girl, she says, You just need some mama love. At first I was confused. What did she mean? And then she continued saying, and you know what you're going to do? I look at her curious. She goes, you're going to give it to yourself. Go into the bathroom, look into the mirror, look down at your body and say, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to love you. She ended up telling me about Louise Hayes' modality called Mirror Therapy and her book, You Can Heal Your Life. I dove in the next day and I started making it a practice to go into the mirror every single day. At first, I was extremely uncomfortable. I noticed that I couldn't even look myself directly in the eyes. So I ended up making a goal or a promise, have you? I was going to look in the mirror every single day until I could finally look myself in the eyes and say, I love you and actually mean it. I will never forget the time that I was first able to do it. As soon as I made eye contact with myself in the mirror and said, I love you, my five-year-old self appeared in the mirror. And that five-year-old told me everything she'd always wanted to hear from her mom and dad, but never did. So I said to her those things. I love you. I'm so proud of you. You've done nothing wrong. You are beautiful. You are worthy. And I've got you. There were tears. It was so healing. Meanwhile, I was reading all the books my roommate Dulce could recommend. A Course in Miracles, A Return to Love by Marion Williamson, Spirit Junkie by Gabrielle Bernstein, you know the list. I also started journaling affirmations and prayers every day. One day, as Dulce was running out the door, she mentioned something to me about asking God for clarity. Instantly, I cringed internally. The word God was so weighted for me. In my mind, it was connected to my Christian upbringing that honestly was not truly loving. So I'd rejected the word God for many years at this point. She noticed my aversion, so quickly she said, and when I say God, I just mean my higher self or my soul or the universe. Now that was something I was able to stomach. I got her point, and it was truly fantastic advice. Meanwhile, the book Spirit Junkie was suggesting to call on spirit for everything, somewhat similarly. It was all about letting something bigger than us move through us. 
I tried it on and it felt amazing. It was like I was finding my spiritual connection again, but in a way that felt right and true for me. I felt liberated. Between the self-guided mirror therapy, the books, the journaling, and the praying, I was starting to feel like myself again, but honestly, even better than my normal self. I was starting to feel optimistic and alive. As I was waking up to these concepts and practices, I had this random thought of my friend Dave, who I call DLR. He was this guy that I used to work with at the wine bar Postino Arcadia in Phoenix. I hadn't had much contact with him, but I'd always noticed that he was different than most people. For some odd reason, I had this intuition that maybe he knows about these things. I hadn't seen him in at least a year, but I awkwardly called him and somehow mustered up the courage to tell him that I'm having all of these new experiences and learnings and that I think we should talk. We met up for a juice a few days later and I was right. He knew about all of it all the books and all the language. I was blown away because I just didn't know anyone else other than Dulce talking about this stuff. Towards the end of our catch-up, he says, kind of under his voice, and I really want to go on a journey. And I said to him, what do you mean? He says, an ayahuasca journey. From there, he briefly tries to explain what that was, but it totally went over my head. I thought nothing of it. Definitely didn't remember what word he used or anything he said about it, and I went on with my day. Remember, this is January 2015, and not even Joe Rogan is talking about ayahuasca yet. The next day, I got a pretty random invite to meet up for juice with a woman who was visiting Phoenix. She was my Aunt Amy's childhood friend from Ohio, and so I guess my Aunt Amy had connected us, but I'd never met her or talked to her before. I said, yes, why not? When I met up with her, she was trying to tell me about this wellness center she wants to create. And she then said under her breath, and I even want to offer or talk about things that aren't as socially accepted, such as ayahuasca. I look at her and I say, hang on, what did you just say? She repeats the word. And I was like, huh, I swear that I just heard that word yesterday. How strange. But again, I then from there just went on with my day thinking nothing about it. And then the next day rolled around. I got a call from DLR. He goes, hey, I just talked to my shaman in Sedona and he has two spots available for an ayahuasca ceremony tonight. Do you want to go? As crazy as it is, I said yes. I knew nothing about ayahuasca. I couldn't have even spelled it or pronounced it if I tried. So it's not like I just looked it up on Google, which of course, looking back, is a godsend. I honestly just showed up that night into a temple-like room full of crystals, sacred tapestries, and statues, feeling completely out of place, but at the same time, just knowing it was where I was meant to be. I had absolutely zero expectations or fears. Kind of surprising for someone that had never experienced a psychedelic. But I guess that was the benefit of not having much context for what I was getting myself into. 
Plus, it was clear that I was in really good hands. Thank goodness, I certainly got lucky here. Shaman Andrew was the most attentive, caring, compassionate, skilled, and wise person I had ever met to date. I felt completely relaxed and surrendered. Dave had told me that all I really need to do is set my intention. So I set two. Number one, to release anything that I had yet to heal from my previous relationship. And number two, to find out what my purpose is. The ceremony that night was pure bliss. I just laid there and loved every bit. I had very light visions in Egypt, cuddling furry animals, (laughs) and most vividly of an angel with a trumpet flying above the land, sprinkling glitter all over the earth. It felt like a celebration. It was very playful, fun, and hopeful. And I heard a voice. It said, Mackenzie, your purpose is to spread your glitter in the world. It continued, it's not about what you do. It's about your being, she says. Bring your full energy and light into every room and to every person you meet, and that will fulfill your purpose. Wow. What a relief that was coming from an upbringing that focused so much on external success and accolades. This message was truly revolutionary for me. And I just felt so much peace. It goes without saying Madre Ayahuasca totally won me over. And I guess she had to, huh? Knowing now what would unfold between us from that day onward. I felt home for the first time in my entire life. I felt high on life, on love, on truth. And I healed my relationship with God that night. I walked away knowing that without a doubt, there is a God. There is something bigger than us working behind the scenes. Because how else would that quote-unquote tea I just drank know all of those things? It was a mystery to me, but I trusted it completely. And I was forever changed. On the drive home the next morning, all I could think about was me flying over the earth, spreading my glitter everywhere I go. I was present all of a sudden to my true power that I could actually, just through my thought and my intention, send positive energy, send my love to the plants, the creatures, and all the cars we passed. And therefore, I could spread my glitter anywhere I desired. Wow. Life would never be the same from that day on. This episode is dedicated to the grace and mystery of Madre Ayahuasca, the Divine Mother, Shaman Andrew, who is now on the other side, my beautiful friend DLR, to my previous partners Ash, Howie, and Zachary, to my old roommate Dulce, and to my baby boy in spirit Landon James. Aho. This episode was made possible by Cacao Ceremonial Drinking Chocolate. Visit flycacao.com or any of our other countries' websites to learn more about this magical, heart-opening, and creativity-evoking drink. 
And by the way, I have two spots left in my March Sisterhood Immersion in Sedona, Arizona. Correction, I have one spot left in my March Sisterhood Immersion in Sedona, Arizona, just realized, as well as two spots left for the Sedona Couples Immersion in March that Michael and I are hosting. Reach out to me at hello at flycacao.com and I'll email you all the deets. Until the next chapter, my loves, aloha.